All right, welcome everybody. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, seek you and need you in all things and uh, pray that you'll help, uh, help us build bridges. We've got to tear them down to, uh, before we rebuild them, and that's what we're doing, but help us to build them back up so they're stronger than ever and address the problems and speak openly and in the light. Bless our volunteer and volunteers and our staff and everybody who helps to keep things going. And we love you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said uh, last week that we were going to be an open book about how things are going in these early shows. And uh, as we progress and experience HOTM 2.0, I've made some bold assertions and there have been some responses in kind. Hopefully they're leading toward improvement. That's the goal is improvement, change there's going to, changes need to be made for there to be an improvement, in my opinion, and change is really, really difficult, especially in areas of religion. Uh, that's what we're calling for, real, lasting change, not superficial placation, not pretending, really changing some things, and uh, what is happening in response to our approach is really resistance to change. That's what it is. We're proposing change, and we're getting resistance to change. That's the, that's the brass tacks of what we're witnessing uh, right now. My calls for things to be improved upon openly and responses that are saying, I want to resist what you are suggesting. Uh, try it and see it in those terms. And remember, these principles have always been around. Moses and Pharaoh. That was Moses saying things need to change and Pharaoh saying, no, 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 I want to keep them the way they are. That's all it was. It was a matter of one person proposing uh, something's wrong and another person saying, too bad, we're keeping it the way it is. That's what happened with John the Baptist when he came and he paved the way with the Pharisees. The Pharisees came and John the Baptist is calling them out and the Pharisees are saying, we are the managers of uh, continuity. We are the sons of Abraham. Things are not changing under our watch. You, sir, are not someone we're going to agree with. And he's calling them out. And that, of course, that's what happened with Jesus. And the uh, Sanhedrin is, uh, he came forward and he taught his apostles the real way. And they said, no, no, no. Our traditions say it's this way. And there was that battle between change and non-change. And of course, what Luther was doing with the Roman Catholic Church, same idea, same tensions, conflict. Leadership versus management. That's all it really is. Again, with leaders seeking to bring people to places and, and thinking that's better and management striving to maintain the status quo. That's what we're talking about. Uh, let's touch on the drivers and maybe perhaps some of the motivations behind the players in management for a minute. From the top level down to the lowest ranks, managers are in place to protect the interests of what has been, what is, and what the plans are to be in the future. They, that's how they look at their world. What has been, what is, and what has been planned for the future. Up on North Temple uh, here in Salt Lake City, there's a huge building, and it is filled with what the LDS people uh, call the brethren. And there's some ladies involved in there too, not that many, but they're for the Relief Society boards and primary boards, but these are the brethren. And uh, 
the brethren are seen by most LDS people as their leaders. But in reality, they're not leaders in the truest sense of the word. Uh, they're just top-level management in the organization. Their job to protect what has been, what is, and the plans for the future that they have made. And that is what they do. All of them are part of that game. They don't speak out against the organization. If they have a problem, they work it out corporately under the umbrella of what has been, what is, and the plans for the future that they have made. Even Thomas S. Monson, the king of mediocrity, uh, he might look like he's the prophet, seer, and revelator, but he is also a manager of what has been, what is, and what has been planned to be. The only real, genuine re uh, leaders in Mormonism are Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And there were some leaders after that, John Taylor, etc., all the way up to David O. McKay, and, and he, had, he had leadership abilities that did certain things outside of what the norm was. But after that, the church really became corporatized, it became clerical, and Mormonism became just one giant uh, business that is managed uh, beginning to end. When a true leader rises up out of what is being managed, uh, for instance, in Mormonism, there's a guy named Denver Snuffer. Now, he is a true leader because he has said, I, am, I do not like what the whole institution of managers is saying. I'm willing to step out and I'm going to speak against that. They excommunicated him, of course. And he is leading people to what he believes will emancipate them from the clutches of the organization. John DeLynn is another leader, true leader, who has left Mormonism. Uh, he uh, tried probably within the church to make things happen, didn't work. The management excommunicated him, and so John is out there and he is leading his vision of the world to people who have been LDS and have become disaffected. But again, at the core of the tension is John and Snuffer and Mormon management, two leaders and Mormon management. Unlike managers, listen closely, leaders do what they believe is best irrespective of what has been, what is, and what the plans are for the future. Jesus did it, Moses did it, other leaders do it. They don't care what the traditions say. They say this has to happen. And real leaders say what is going on is not optimal. It's not good. This is failing. And they're not out for themselves. A, a real leader will say, even if this harms me personally, harms my uh, personal life and my personal ambitions, I am willing to step out and say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done against the managers who will try to kill me. That is how it's always been. Baptist, Jesus, Paul, Martin Luther, whatever is necessary as a means to produce the change that is needed for the whole group, not just what benefits them. Understand that. So this is how to tell a true leader from management is that the leader will say, do, suffer, face anything and everything 
in an effort to see change occur that will benefit the whole. And that's how you can say Jesus was truly a leader and John the Baptist and Moses and David and all the other biblical heroes we hold up, Martin Luther. But suddenly after Luther, we just stop and say there's no need for any more. Let me give you an example. For every year, for the past hundred years, the XYZ Corporation has done a thousand mile hike in the summer with their employees. And every night of the hike is orchestrated. They stop at the same places. They do the same things, and it's a great time. And the, it's a team-building exercise. And the ends, it culminates on the final night before they hike to their final destination with a party at a, at a Fresh Springs place in Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming. They go from California to Casper, Wyoming. And they get to the Fresh Springs, and there's a giant corporate party waiting for them. A wonderful, and that's the culminating event, right? So there's a committee every year in place to make sure the hike goes off as planned. And they always elect a guide to, to be the one who leads them over this course. Well, this last year they elected a guide. Her name was Monica. And Monica takes the group the whole way. But Monica has become familiar with some of the signs that are dangerous for the group. Weather signs and, and other things. And on the, right before the final night, she sees that there is reason to get to the final destination and skip the grand party at the Fresh Springs. Now, everybody in the, in the group wants to get to the final party. They don't really care about the destination and safety of the destination. They want to go to the final uh, uh, party. And so there's an uproar. But Monica sticks to her guns. She knows what is best for the group as a whole. Uh, so then the people start, but we're out of water, fresh water, and the fresh springs has them. We need to go there. Monica's thirsty, too. She's out of water, too. But she knows she's got to get them to the destination, irresp irrespective of her wants and needs. And we visited the springs every year for 100 years. It's tradition. This is what the founders of XYZ Corporation say we should do every year, and we've done it. And yours is going to be the only year we don't do it. And Monica says, I don't care. I can see what is best for the group. We are going to skip the final thing and go, well, the middle management and the committee in charge, they call the CEO of XYZ, and he gets Monica on the phone. And he says, listen to me. If you don't take our group to the springs for the party, you're fired from your lucrative position with our company, and, and I will ruin your reputation. And she says, I don't care. I know what's best for the group, and I'm going to say and do what's necessary to keep them from harm. This is what John the Baptist, Jesus, Luther, everybody who is a leader does. They say, we don't care what was, what is, what is supposed to be. They say, this is what needs to happen. And if it hurts your feelings and it disrupts your traditions and everything else, too freaking bad. You get it? This is always in opposition to middle management, true leadership. And between those two, we find most friction in historic America, even the human race. Here in Utah, which, is used, which I'm using to be a template for all of, all of the Christian faith in the world, there are some players that are leaders and there are some players who are managers. And let me introduce you to the leaders, and I know I'll take heat for this, but in the state of Utah, the true leaders 
who say this is what needs to happen, especially in the Mormon Christian thing, are Denver Snuffer, John DeLynn, the evangelical church as a whole, and myself. Okay? I include myself humbly. And it's not of merit of mine. It's not that I'm a prophet or anything like Luther or anything like else, like you guys are trying to say because of the intro. It's just I am willing to do whatever it takes to liberate people from bondage that is presently being heaped upon them by the Mormons and by the evangelicals in the state. What defines us as leaders is we are sold out for the goal for the LDS, ex-LDS, and anybody who seeks for truth. Now, the leaders don't agree with each other. I don't have any respect for Denver Snuffer as a leader. I love him as a human being. I love the people who follow him or follow what he believes and teaches. I accept them as my brother and sister. But Denver Snuffer to the LDS is to include Joseph Smith in the mix still. And so they leave the Mormon church and they go to his view of liberation and leadership. And his liberation and leadership says, you, you got to really still revere Smith as a great part of the uh, Reformation. And you got to listen to some of the things that he said, and, and et cetera. So you've got to, you got to, you got to. And I, and, I, and I just don't respect it. And I don't think it historically holds up what, what he proposes. I have less respect for John DeLynn. Love him as a human being. A person, a friend, I consider him a friend, and I, I like his person, but he has a disregard for God. He has a disregard for Jesus. He has a complete disregard for the Bible. And his leadership is to propose a carnal freedom to people coming out from Mormonism. To eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and you know, don't worry about it. And to me, that is an inferior form of leadership. He is leading them to a place, and he does apparently do it selfishly and without letting anything get in his way. They've excommunicated him, etc. But I think his form is failing. The churches, the evangelical churches that are responsible to lead, have failed too. They are failing in taking ex-Mormons, actual Mormons, or people of any religious bondage, and they are only bringing them into more bondage. So they are dropping the ball too. The only solution is freedom in Christ. Total freedom in Christ. That means freedom in doctrine, theology, whatever you're going to believe. You have to have that freedom to believe it. You do anyway. You have to have the freedom from priesthood authority or anyone who tries to insert themselves as your pastor or reverend or bishop or clergy between you and God. In any way, any way, they cannot insert themselves. They have to be freedom from financial burdens. There has to be freedom from uh, volunteerism, demanded volunteerism. There has to be freedom from obeying and serving the church when you really should be obeying and serving the Lord. Unless someone stands up and says this, this isn't going on, then we continue on with the managers ruling and doing what they have done for how many years in this state? And nothing's really gotten better. I don't take any credit. Believe me, 
Honestly, as a man, bad, say it all the time, and I mean it. Someone wrote online that I'm a demon. Maybe it's true. But I do know that anything that is good that comes from me is from Christ, Jesus. The vine pouring through a branch, that's it. Nothing more. But I will stand up for the liberty that should be in Christ. When anyone steps up and suggests otherwise... I don't care who they are, that you should be doing this or that or this or that or this or that in order to be right with him. It's an infringement upon the liberties every human, every human being has in Christ, especially those who believe. In managerial opposition to me and my views, there are several factions in the state. And we're going to discuss them on our board of direction right now. Okay, so let's talk about the managerial pyramid that exists in the church today. And uh, I'll explain them as we go along. And we'll start with the, the base, which that's where we find most of the managers. And those are the individuals. And I, and I call this uh, the mindless masses. Now, please don't take this like I'm being insulting. It doesn't mean these people aren't smart and intelligent. They're smarter than I am and, and they're intelligent and they're educated. They just don't have a mind for things spiritual or theological and they just take their opinions from somebody else. And what they're managing really is just their own walk and they do it by attending a church, going on Sunday, hearing what the pastor says, going home, participating in the midweek activities, believing what they read online from their group. They're just mindless toward anything else, all right? Uh, next, we have a group that I call the Salieri's. Now, uh, the Salieri's are interesting. You might call them the Robert Fords. If you don't know who he is, you might call them the Peter Keatings of the faith. If you don't know who he is, let me explain. It's up to you. Uh, Salieri, you remember the great movie about 30 years ago. He is Mozart's nemesis. Salieri was a man of devout love for God and devotions. He had tremendous devotion and, and earnestness for music. And, but he was limited in an ability to be appreciated by anybody else. Along comes this jackass named Mozart, who is chasing women, and he's drinking, and he has disregard for God, it seems. But he's got talent exuding from him, and it makes Salieri so bitter with his own life. He just cannot, he, he spends his life hating in growing in hatred toward Mozart. Peter Keating is in Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead, and he's a wannabe. He's someone who follows in on the coattails of other people who have been successful where he can't have the success. And of course, uh, Robert Ford is the guy who killed Jesse James out of envy, out of, and he did it in such a cowardly way. I have dealt with Salieri's all through my life, not because I'm special or a Mozart or anything, I just do what I want. And it, that bothers people. That bothers people so much when someone else does what they want to do in the way they want to do it. 
That's anathema. And it's especially hated by the Salieri's of the world, especially in the body of Christ. So even though my description of them is going to be understood and, and, and used against me, uh, uh, let me tell you about the Salieri's. They have education. They're articulate. They've paid the price. They're prepared. They have done most things right in their life. And they really, really feel like they should have an audience. It's just like people say, I know I'm funny. I just really know I'm funny. But they can never pull the trigger to get other people to believe that they're funny. Like Salieri in relation to Mozart, in the faith they are filled with envy and, and hatred. And uh, they hate guys like me who, who write books that have typos in them and who dress like I do and who do what they want because it doesn't fit the model that they have ascribed to for their life, that they get the PhD, they get all the book knowledge, they've done their part, they have been obedient to God, and God is not recognizing them amidst their peers. So I understand that the hatred by the Salieri's towards me is probably justified in some ways. I also understand that maybe they were picked on by guys like me or the, the, the type of person like me and when they were younger. I get that. And, and so where I have had issues with the Salieri's, uh, I can see how they have had issues with me. So we have to learn to, to get along. But when they see and hear me in this state, we have Salieri's in this state, uh, or wherever they live, there is a seething disdain. And it has been present with them since the day I ever met them. Gonna name names, because we're transparent now. Jason Wallace is a Salieri. That's what this man is all about. He came to this state believing, it's actually written, that he was going to be the missionary to the Mormons. And, and he believed that about himself. This was written in an article about him. And up comes this dude in 2006 doing a show who doesn't have all his theology correct and doesn't really, isn't refined at all and has no real education behind him and he gets an audience. And so we have the problem. There's a guy named Sam Richardson. He's LDS. He's a Salieri. He's done a five-part series on me uh, out that's just recent in 2017, and yet the poor guy cannot communicate at all his ideas, and they may be good. You see, so there's others out there. They've created something called McCraneyisms. They, they accuse people who come to campus of being in a McCraney cult. These, these, these Salieri's are seething with anything to try to uh, manage their world, and get rid of this one. So, as I've said, they've been a part of my life since I was a kid, and I've probably been a part of their life since they were a kid. We need to break that down. I will wave the white flag right now with the Salieri's in my life. I will stop all public discussion of it if they'll do the same. But they won't. You see, and that's how it works. I've gone quiet. I haven't mentioned by name Jason Wallace, uh, maybe a couple times, and, uh, but in all the time, never. And what has it got me? Constant barrage, websites dedicated to me. So let's wave the right, white flag. 
On the next level, I'm calling the upper middle managers, perhaps the pseudo leader upper, upper middle management. And that's number three in the uh, managerial pyramid. Let's just call it the pseudo uh, leader upper mid management. This is an interesting group. Uh, in this state, there's a couple of them. The Sandra Tanner, I talked about her last week. She is up there in managing what is there and keeping it going. Uh, Greg Johnson has been trying for years to lead in this state. He's not a leader. He is a manager. He's a manager of what has been and what he wants to maintain for himself. Uh, and he manages it for his own survival. Let me give you an example. Just last week, in the wake of the unfortunate shooting in Texas, uh, Greg Johnson was on the, on the news all over the place, and he was, uh, they were running a story about the leadership of Greg Johnson with these pastors. What did Greg Johnson do? Uh, under the leadership of, of Greg, many Utah churches are coming together as a means to prepare themselves on how to kill people. That, that's what it was, essentially. How to, quote, put a bullet in the head of other people. That's the leadership we get from that. What the luck? I mean, you got to be kidding me. How to kill people who are coming into our churches. Riding on the coattails of this event, uh, horrid event in Texas, Johnson rallies participating pastors on the self-defense. And that is the spiritual leadership that is being provided here in Utah. How, as a trainer, Johnson retained to put the, a bullet in the head of another person. That's, that's a quote. How to put a bullet in the head of another person. What would the early Christians say to this? Just the ones being taken to the Roman Colosseum, the ones being burned by Nero. What would Jesus say to it? What would be the advice? What would the Anabaptists, the, uh, the, uh, the Amish and the Mennonites say to it? They say, listen, we are called to walk in faith, trust in God. And if someone comes in, we say to them, we love you as they blow us away. But uh, yeah, I know it's, it's to our senses. It's like, no, we have to defend ourselves. And that's what Johnson's doing. He's not leading. That's not leadership in the Christian faith. That's leadership in a worldly affair. I just want a leader in the state. You know, someone who is uh, going to lead the churches the way Christ would lead the church. Uh, you know what I would tell people if they asked me, which they never would, of how to protect yourself against these forces that are going and shooting groups up? I would say keep your churches small. Why don't you, instead of being this big beacon on the hill, inviting psychos to come in and shoot as many people as they can so they can get the biggest number of mass shootings, how about deconstructing down and being kind of anonymous in where you meet, not making it a big ordeal? And, you know, you won't have someone wandering in off the street and choosing your flock to blow away. And then I would say, pastors, we need to walk in faith. We need to reassure our, uh, our congregates that God is with us. And if God allows someone to walk in the door, then we allow that to play out as it's going to play out. Oh, no, that's too radical. We can't do that in this day and age. Well, why didn't the Anabaptists say that? 
Why didn't the apostles say that? Why didn't Jesus say that? You see? No. They will not, the managers, infringe upon the machine. That's what it's about. They just arm everyone and teach them how to put bullets in the heads of people who intrude upon their walk. Can you see how Johnson's leadership is just self-interested management? That's all it is. How he merely perpetuates himself to be seen as doing good in the public eye. Gather around, pastors. We, this is what we're doing. You know, I, I could do a really terrible gesture right now. That's all it is. It's just that gesture of religion. Imagine Johnson telling the pastors of the state to trust God. Stop focusing on being so material. Dumb your churches down a bit. Give all that excess to the people who need it. Won't happen because he's no leader. He's a manager. And by the way, standing together is supported by the pastors of the state and the churches. So how could Johnson ever truly lead them if he's in their pocket? You know, if he goes to them and tells them you should start dumbing it down, boy, that's not going to fly, and so he's going to lose. So it just doesn't work. That's why he fits in management. Now, of course, Sandra Tanner comments last week, that started a little buzz around the, the beehive here, which caused more managers to come out of the woodwork and stand for Sandra. You know, we need to stand together with our sister who's given 50 years of who cares See, this is, the, this is the man worship that the Calvinists do. I'm not saying Sandra's a Calvinist. I don't know. She doesn't tell us. But this is what they, they honor men. They have ancient paths where they re, tell people to read what men have said. And so when a man or a woman gives 50 years of their life to some cause, boy, let's hold them up as a sacred cow. BFD, 50 years, 100 years. We are human. We have nothing to give but what God does for us. And I know anybody who is given the opportunity to do what Sandra has done would probably do it. There's no sacrifice on my part, on her part. This is an opportunity. We don't hold people up as being heroes, make statues of them. They're venerable, so we don't criticize them. That's the thing I've been sent most. She has given 50... Wake up! Do you know what this faith is about? It's not what, about what people do, how much time they've done. Remember the parable Jesus gave? People can enter into the workplace in the morning, and they can work, in the, and they can work all day, and they can work in the eve, enter in at the evening, and they get paid the same amount. Do you remember that? That's how we are supposed to see it. So stop holding people up and rallying around because of all she's done. When you start to fear and revere men and women, you start to lose the loyalty God wants you to have toward him. And it's one thing that really bothers people because I don't care. I don't care if you respect me for the years. I don't care if you respect Sandra. I don't respect anybody. I respect God. And from that respect, you love others. And when you love them, you love them in spirit and in truth. I would think that people who really appreciated Sandra would go to her and say, you know, there's some points there you might want to consider. When we bring people out of the Mormon faith, perhaps we should be telling them what to expect. Perhaps, Sandra, you would do better by listening to a few things that McCraney had to say, instead of just going around and complaining that everyone's picking on me, which that is what's happening, by the way. So, a real leader steps in and says, this is what needs to change, no matter what the price is, and no matter who's on the altar. 
So finally we get to the top level and who are the top managers at the top of the sphere of management in the Christian world in Utah and other places? I'll tell you right now, it's the pastors. This is what they are. They are managers. They're not leaders. As I've mentioned, they are just perpetuating the things they have been taught, the traditions that they uphold, the views that they say, and they're managing those and they're putting them out on other people. If they were to really lead, they would lose that area that they're over and so there's too much risk and so they just manage. They don't really, uh, in, they don't really create anything. They just perpetuate the same thing in different models and different forms. You see, they're at the top of the heap because if the pastors unitedly change, these guys, Sandra and Greg Johnson, would change. They have to in order to survive. Their ministry would have to survive because they live off what the pastors pour down to them. So if they change, these guys would change, and maybe these guys would change, and then these guys would change. So the pastors really are the consummate managers in this thing. Now, I've mentioned Dave Nelson at K2. I'm going to have lunch with him and his wife and Mary next week. Uh, Nathaniel Taylor at Hidden Valley Presbyterian. I'm having lunch with him uh, sometime this week. Paul Roby, having coffee with him of uh, South Mountain. I don't know what's going to come of that. I have no idea because what the, what's going to happen is they are going to meet uh, some ideas that I'm not moving on and they're not going to move on. So I'm really interested to see what we're even going to say. But I will report to you what happens. I know there's going to be justification for the way they do church. I know there's going to be justification for their use of tithes and donations and gathering. It will be ad nauseum. I've heard it. I've been in it. But I also know what I'm called to do, and that is to liberate people in the name of Christ from bondage and from religion. And if they are not liberating people and having people experience liberation in Christ, then we're going to have a budding of heads. So we'll let you know the results from, from these bold pastors who at least reach out and say, let's sit down and talk, rather than what the Salieri's are doing and the other people are doing. We'll keep building on this and see what happens. So uh, continuing on, we'll take a call in just a minute from Arizona. And, uh, but I want to tell you in the name of transparency, no one here knows this. Uh, the only one who knows I did this is my wife. Uh, three or four weeks before we launched HOTM 2.0, I sent an anonymous declaration out to, I think, 15 churches, 12 or 15 churches in the state, especially here in the valley. Uh, it was on paper. It was on this paper. This is the, a copy of it. It was black with red letters and, and, and white uh, lettering. And um, this is what it said. It was anonymous. And it went to South Mountain. It went to K2. It went to The Rock. It went to... Uh, Calvary Chapel. It went to most, I think I even sent one to Magna. It says, official notice. In the name and cause of Christian freedom, we, freedom fighters for Christ, declare war against the errant teachings that this church is heaping upon unsuspecting people through its misuse of the Bible, specifically the imposition of tithes. And when I say tithes, I mean any sort of donation pulling from the congregants claiming an authority to speak for God, second imposition, third, teaching an approaching end of the world, 
Those three impositions, I said, they are, we're declaring war against that. It continues, the people of Utah need freedom from religion, not more of it. And this church is guilty of preying upon individuals who, seeking God, do not know any better. Shame on you. Failure to repent of these religious crimes against the people of Utah will most assuredly result in your church closing its doors forever. <laughs> this we guarantee. <laughs> and I do guarantee it. In the name of God, I guarantee it. I'll tell you right now, their doors will shut. Their doors will shut if they don't change. If they don't change what they are doing to people in this state. I was sent here by God. Not a prophet. I'm not insp more inspired than any other human on earth. I don't have new revelation. I'm just a teacher. I was sent here by God to free Mormons from relig religious bondage in the name of Christ. Part of that job is to free them from other religious traps that take them and lock them up in abuse. This is part of my call. If you don't like it, it's okay. You're going to mock me, I get it. But I guarantee you what I wrote to those pastors, and I mean this to any church in the state, if you put people in religious bondage, your doors will shut. We'll see how that plays out. We have a call. Uh, it says it's from James White from Arizona. I don't know if it's the James White, but we'll find out. <laughs> Patrick. You hey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Is this James White, the James White, or is it another James White? Uh, there's only one that I know of in the Phoenix area. Well, it must be the James White, the venerable, the honorable. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. I've never, I've never used a definite article in front of my name, though, but that's okay. Okay, well, I just did. <laughs> Sean, uh, let, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, heard a little bit of your program last week. Uh, I've, been, I've been informed that you said that you are a uh, convinced, Modalist, is that correct? Well, it depends on how modalist is defined. Well, yeah, that would make sense. But uh, would you would you specifically take the modalistic perspective, or do you have your own spin on things? I have kind of my own spin, but I, it's not a, it's not original. I know that it has been uh, taught by and believed by others. My spin is pretty simple. Uh, there is one God. And he, uh, Jesus was God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, the Word of God made flesh, and the Spirit is God in spirit. And there is one God, and Jesus was God in the flesh, and the Spirit is God. I don't, what I don't believe, James, and I think you know this, is I don't believe in the eternal sonship of Jesus. I believe in his eternality as the Word of God, but I don't believe in his eternal sonship nor do I believe in a personage uh, of the Holy Spirit being like another person of the three in a pre-existent state. Okay, so the Son and the Father were not in eternal relationship with one another as divine persons 
in as eternity di- past. As divine persons in eternity past? No. Right. But they were in relationship because he was God's word. Now, how God's word manifests itself because he's God, I have no idea. I just have the problem, James, with there being God the Father and little Jesus, his son, next to him and cousin Holy Spirit as three persons being one that make up God. I have a real difficulty with thinking of God that way. Well, I'm really glad because I don't know anybody on the planet Earth that thinks that way. But, uh, was that an attempt to describe the doctrine of the Trinity? Uh, well, I've had it described to me that way. I mean, I've, I've literally had pretty smart Trinitarians tell me that when you look at sitting at a table, when you look at you, Sean, and you look at me, Bill, and you look at you, Jim, that is the Godhead, that is the Trinity, but the three of us distinct persons make up one God. Take out any of those persons, you don't have the one God. I have problems with that person relationship, James. Well, uh, okay, I understand that. That's not historic Trinitarian doctrine, but um, what I was going to do is, in light of what you said last week, that there would be nobody that would... uh, uh, that we discuss these things with you and stuff like that. How about I do that? Love it. Why don't you do it on the show? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I tell you what, let's email and we'll figure out your schedule. And uh, I would love to have you on, James. I'm not, okay. I am not adverse. I am not adverse, my brother, even though you may not see me as that, as learning something new. I, 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 I am willing to change views. I just presently do not understand what I have been taught. That's Matt Slick, you know, and that's other, that's other guys who, uh, I mean, I can't, uh, Rob Bowman, when I sat with him and I l- listened to all of them, their definitions do not play out for me in my mind. So I look forward to this meeting, and I really appreciate you reaching out. Okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm hoping maybe sometime... Uh January, early February, I have lots of miles in my account. Uh, Salt Lake's not far away. So uh, maybe we can work something out on a, on a Tuesday night. I, I really appreciate that. We'll get in touch. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. That was great. That was great. Yes. I mean, listen, let's bring in the biggest hitter. In, I mean, he debates everybody. I don't want to debate with him. I can't debate with him. He's a deba- debating master. But I can be honest, and I can say, I just, you know, tell me, help us. All of us know better what this is, and we'll learn and grow. So uh, praise God for his reaching out, you know, and I hope we can continue. This is what we're looking at. This is what we need right there. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have uh, venom. He wasn't sarcastic. He didn't pull anything that's being pulled online. He didn't go online and do it. I know he has a show and he's done shows on me before, but that was way back on the Trinity and stuff. But this was a straight up call to me. I respect that. Let's bring him on and see what happens. Let's go to Sarah, line two, Idaho Falls. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, it's Sarah. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let you know that I don't know if you got my email. I did. But my other email, I was going to comment because Terry Long uh, had that advertisement for his following Jesus 
in leadership class that he posted on Facebook. Oh. And I was going to comment on it, <laughs> but I didn't want to, I don't know, create drama, I guess. What did it say? So I had a friend do it. <laughs> <laughs> but she basically asked him, are you going to teach in this following Jesus in leadership class um, that Jesus is the only mediator between man and God and that we don't need man-made councils or institutions to, you know, lead people. And um, the comment got deleted and wow. not answered, and she got blocked from the page. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, uh, so not Terry, only was this call. question not even answered by anybody, it was completely ignored. Wow. Um, she actually got blocked from the whole the church Facebook page. Right. So I thought that was very interesting. And asked the uh, question and I, I got blocked. I don't understand why he wouldn't just Answer. say, of course, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. But um, it's kind of frustrating. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a very common, obvious doctrine of Christianity. Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. Yeah. But, like, they're afraid. They're afraid of questions. Yeah. Of, of any kind of criticism. Yeah. I am so glad you pointed that out, my sister. Just to let you know, uh, Sarah and her family moved to uh, Idaho recently, so she was a resident of this valley in and had attended uh, uh, campus and Calvary Chapel in different places and times. So it's not like she's an outsider just picking on Terry Long. She has experience and she's bringing something to the table and holding him accountable because they're held to a higher standard. You know, we hold each other accountable in the light of day and we just speak honestly. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you doing it, my sister. Yeah, no problem. I just, uh, I wanted to give it a shot and see if, you know, if I could get him to say anything but you know i didn't want to put myself out there but um oh and she also she also asked if he was going to answer your confrontation of the churches of utah and that was ignored too <laughs> and deleted <laughs> so, so I, I don't think you're gonna get any answers from some of these yeah uh cowards yeah. but yeah awesome my bro my, my brother awesome my sister hey <laughs> give love to the boys Yes, I will. Love you, Sarah. Love you. Okay, bye. Hey, listen, when we're talking about cowardice, all we're asking for is the people to be uh, step up and be transparent, say what you have to say, and do it in, with decorum and respect, just like James White just did. Terry Long, uh, you know, come on and let's bring it. You teach to your people constantly. That's why uh, Martin Luther is reading the newspaper and reading his Bible. You've been heaping on end times on your poor people forever. You know, you have been heaping on tithing, tithing, tithing. You collect money more than a, a, a carpet seller, whatever that means. And, and, and you're always going for the bucks. Going for the big bucks there, Terry. Come and defend that, will you? Come and share for our audience instead of just deleting online. Share with our audience why you do that. How much money do you really need? How many Harleys do you need to own, Terry? 
Is five not enough? You know, let's just get to the brass tacks of things. That's what this is about. Heart of the Matter 2.0. We'll see you next week.